Welcome to Conversations with Leaders, an AWS podcast focused on personal lessons of leadership, culture, and technology from business leaders across the globe. Enjoy today's conversation. My name is Tom Godden. I'm an enterprise strategist with AWS. I'm a former chief information officer at Foundation Medicine, and I'm really excited about this opportunity. I'm joined here by Amr Beg, partner at McKinsey. Would you tell us a little bit about your background and, and your excitement about generative AI? Thank you, Tom. Really pleased to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I'm a senior partner at McKinsey. I lead McKinsey's technology practice globally. That's our client service for the CIO CTO community. We advise uh, the C-suite on tech-enabled business transformations. And there's nothing more exciting now than mm -hmm. looking at the power of generative AI and the cloud to really drive different business outcomes. So that's what gets me really excited. Can you share from your perspective what it means to be, you know, what, what generative AI means? What, what's the business value? What are we looking at when we're looking at generative AI? Generative AI has the promise of being what we would call a generational technology and really allow businesses and functions to really reimagine themselves. So what we believe is it's an evolution across many years of development of AI, and this is the next step where you have a field of AI that actually generates content, synthesizes content, and can do a, a lot of other very powerful things. The value for enterprises is mainly in productivity, but also in creativity. And when you ask about value, think of this number. The, the value is about 2.6 to 4.4 trillion in economic impact. Wow. That's the power of this technology or the promise of this technology. You would say, then ask the question, where does it come from? Among the 63 use cases, about 75% of this is coming from four functions. Sales and marketing, R&D, software engineering, and customer operations. Okay. So these are the four that we believe will be most fundamentally transformed. And why is that the case for those? Why those four? I mean, it makes sense. Target-rich environments, it feels like, but why? Why are those four the important four? Well, you have to think about where the actual craft and the activities in these functions can actually be reimagined or transformed using a new technology. So, so can we talk about that for just yeah, a second? You know, yeah. we see this a lot with organizations that rush into that new technology and they use that new technology to just redo what they used to do. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, I didn't get the value, the, the, the aha yeah. out of it. It's when you use the new technology to completely reimagine the process. So dive into that a little bit more because I think that's so crucial as we look at how do we get value out of generative AI. Yeah. It's a great way of, of uh, exploring the problem. Let's take some of the examples. I grew up as a, as a developer and wrote code. Coding and software engineering is an apprenticeship model once you've learned the basics, yeah. right? So, you know, how powerful is it to have someone next to you that can suggest what the next line of code is or help you with testing or documentation? Yeah. It really propels you to a different level of performance and productivity. Now let's take something very different. If you're a customer service rep, you get all these calls. You have to process a lot of information and react to it in real time. How wonderful would it be that 
uh, you get suggestions on what the potential answer could be to which you can actually apply your own human judgment and then help the customer. Take another example. In uh, R&D, coming up with new designs, new formulations, new blueprints has always been learned over time. How great would it be that you have a technology that can assist yeah. with new combinations yeah. of that, right? So as you, you ask the question in a, in a very interesting way, what is different? We don't think it's just the same old, same old, done faster, better, cheaper. Yeah, because I don't think that'll be the value we yeah. want. It is actually a reimagination yeah. of what actually happens yeah. here. So let's, let's talk yeah. about that for a minute, because I agree with that. I yeah. think by and large, this technology is going to really help propel people to new levels of creativity and efficiency. Yeah. And it's going to, in a lot of cases, eliminate the mundane you know, yeah. types of things. So it's going to be an incredibly positive thing. But yeah. people are still worried. Right. They're, yeah. they're, they're worried. They, they have concerns and, and their concerns are, let's, let's be honest, they're real, they're valid. But how are you seeing organizations help people get comfortable with this technology and realize this is about letting the computers do what it does well? Yeah. So the humans can do what they do well, not a replacement in most yeah. cases. How, how are you seeing that play out? First, it's, it's important to acknowledge that there is still a little bit of jitteriness about this, as you mentioned. Yeah. But at the same time, we're seeing enterprises invest behind this because the potential is, is, is quite high. Mm -hmm. Because they, they're seeing the art of the possible expand. Okay. But at the same time, this is going through a process of learning and experimentation in companies while keeping in mind the core question you asked, which is people are worried. Yeah. So how do you yeah. deal with that? So we actually think there are three important strategies that will help with that. One is your posture and frame of reference as far as the potential for this opportunity. If it's a human-assisted technology, human-empowered technology, which is what I believe, I think it opens the aperture and opens minds and hearts. That's one. Second is there ha it has to also be followed up with an emphasis on skilling up the right people yeah. to be able to deal, train deal with Train your people, train your people, train, train your people. Exactly. Yeah. And then the third is to adopt a set of policies that will also give comfort but protect people okay. as well. Elaborate on that. So you want to make sure that people are using information safely. Okay. Right. You also want to follow through, especially if it is a customer facing application that you're checking for things like toxicity and content that's being generated. Yeah. You're putting the right guardrails around mistakes that sometimes this technology still makes. So that all will be collectively confidence boosting. Yeah. And I think it's important when you do that and you're talking about responsible AI program. Yeah. And I tell people, step one needs to be build a responsible AI program. Yeah, yeah you can't let the, 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 the horse, the cow, yeah. whatever, out of the barn and then try to go get it back. And candidly, I think maybe we did that a little bit with social media where we, we let it get it out in front of us. Yeah. And then we, we've had to pull it back from a privacy standpoint. And so I think it's important that people build that. It's the plant a thousand wildflowers and see which one blooms. It sounds like a great idea yeah. until you realize it costs a lot of money to plant a thousand yeah. flowers and a lot of time. And so how we talked about it, benefit, trillions of dollars. Okay, great. How are organizations approaching going, where do I put those bets on the right proof of concept, the right ideas, 
so that they can become something and then so I can yeah. scale them. One of the things that I see people struggling with is just the why. They're doing candidly cool things, yep. but not cool things that necessarily deliver business value, which candidly should be what we're doing. How are you seeing people approach that and look at it and go, where do I put those bets? I think it's an important management challenge right now yeah. is to both allow for some experimentation and learning, but also really place your bets where it makes a difference. Yeah. So we're- Lots of rapid experiments at low cost. A lot of ra rapid experiments at low cost, but really putting your energy behind a few bets that work, yeah. right? Yeah. So we're suggesting a two by two approach, which is pick two where you can make an impact very quickly so you actually have some learning that you can actually go forward with. Sure. And two, where you believe it could be game-changing for your business. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be two, but it's a, ma it's a small manageable number. Because where are you going to bet the business? You want to be right. Sure. Right? Where the risk-reward equation is yeah. right. And you want to make sure that you have everything in place. And then... You know, you you go for the big hit. Yeah. So what's your favorite example, if I can? You talked in broad abstract earlier, but what's, your, what's one of the ones that you've seen? Don't give anything away. Yeah, yeah. You know, but what's one of the ones that you've seen where you went, that, that's so clever. That's so I go back to what I was trained out of school to do, which is in software engineering, yeah. right? I actually think the opportunity closest at hand is how we can really drive developer productivity you using know, this, this. I, I, I love yes, that yeah. one. There's, there's very few things as a CIO that have made me just go, wow. <laughs> and when I look at the productivity gains with things like Amazon Code Whisper, yeah. you know, it, it just, it, it, it blows me away. 57% increase in productivity, 27% more likely to be successful. Yep. How can you not be adopting that technology? It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It seems like a win-win-win. Sure does. Um, it's, it's a win because um, you can do a lot more. Yeah. It's a win because you can do a lot more at a higher quality. Yeah. And it's also a win when we've actually done research and tested this. The developer experience also increases yeah. when yeah. done right, right? So you have the, the core audience liking it and the enterprise benefiting as well. You know, the other win that I'd throw yeah. on top of that is you get the creative juices flowing. So you get the software engineer yeah. who's starting to use that going, gosh, if I can use that inside of my development environment to do things, I wonder if the contact center agent could also benefit in a similar type of way. Different, yeah, yeah. but in a similar type of way. And so it starts to get people experienced in using yeah, yeah. this and, and getting familiar with it and, and, and you know, overcoming a little bit maybe of that fear, that, that mystery of that unknown to be able to you, do it. You're right. And you know what would really boost the chance of success? The right scaffolding around this technology. Okay. Let's talk about that. Training. Yeah. Training. Right? Train, train, training. Train. Change management. Yeah. Coaching side by side. Developing storytellers and change agents from inside that have worked on it. Yeah. Those soft Second, skills matter so much. Soft skills matter. The right processes matter as yeah. well because your software development life cycle, how does that change? Yeah. How does sprint planning change, for yeah. example? How are you going to do testing? How are you going to involve if your code is going outside the organization and usually go through some 
regulatory testing, for example, how do you get these those yeah. people involved too? Yeah. So there is a whole slew of things that needs to happen around this, but the promise is huge. We hope you're enjoying the discussion. To join the conversation and engage with other business leaders, follow us on LinkedIn at AWS Executive Connection. Can we talk about the foundation here a little bit? Everyone sees the examples of generative AI, they get excited about it. Why wouldn't you? I would. I get yeah. excited about it. But it's kind of like the tip of the iceberg, right? You gotta, you gotta, there's a lot under the water that yeah. needs to be done. In particular, you gotta get your data right. You know, if you don't have a strong data foundation, it's going to be hard for you to be able to take advantage of these things. Share a little bit what you're seeing with people and what they're doing with data, maybe what they're doing well, maybe what they need to do in order yeah. to really capitalize on this and to be a success. It seems like it's a perennial problem that is, which is data quality and data management yeah. and um and availability of the right data. Yeah. It was important before, but it's even more important now, and it's coming into sharp relief. Yeah. It's not a, in a, an exaggeration to say that you, whatever you want to do with AI, not just generative AI, is gated by the data you you feed into yeah. into the models and how the data is actually used coming up. So the foundations you talk about are exceptionally important. We think the effort to build the right data ecosystem is an important down payment for getting the benefit out of generative AI. In addition to that, we think there's some new elements in any tech stack for an enterprise that have to be worked in. Right? So, for example, there's a lot of talk about large language models, which one to use, when, why. But how do you access that? How do you train people how to use the right prompts? Yeah. Right? You need an API layer to access the the LLMs. Do you then also want to keep a library of good prompts, for example? So buy certain use cases so people can use that. So all these things have to be thought through as part of the foundations. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's built on good data. Yeah. And, and we really believe that with, you know, there's not going to be one large language model to rule them all. We think that people are going to need different models for different use cases. Yeah. We also think it's early days and there's going to be a lot of change in these yeah. models. So I think having that ability to access it through that API layer in a secure way will make it easier, not easy, easier to potentially make a move and a pivot if and when you need to change which large language model you're doing. I agree with that as well. One more strategy we're, we're uh, seeing with some companies is they're thinking of uh, horses for courses yeah. strategy as well for you know some situations where your proprietary data is not used. Maybe one large language model is, 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 is appropriate. When something is closer to your crown jewels, your crown jewels being your data, your institutional knowledge, yep. right? people are being quite careful about what what to use and the statement measure twice cut once yeah right applies so a lot more testing and analysis is, is happening there yeah you know and back on the on the data one one of the things that I see organizations struggling with but needing to put in place with their data is not only good quality data we all want good quality yeah. data but the ability to understand lineage of data where did you get it versioning, because what you need to understand is why is the model behaving different on Monday versus Tuesday? Yeah. So you got to understand, well, what data did it get on Tuesday 
that's now causing it to potentially answer in a different yeah. way. So getting that that lineage and that versioning and that control over that data is something that most organizations may not be doing yeah. effectively. And as part of that is the importance of automating all of that. You know, if your people are touching the data to move it through, you don't have control over lineage. You don't have control over versioning. This all needs to be done in a consistent, automated way in order to be able to get that. And generative AI has raised the stakes on that. Tom, I maybe perhaps can turn the tables over yeah, to go you, for it. right? You're a CIO. Yeah. You've seen many technologies come and go. And we've chatted a bit about this. How do you see this changing the uh, IT organization in the future and the role of the CIO? Yeah, it's really interesting because I think, you know, this, along with a lot of other change, is really driving a need to get closer to the opportunity to the business need. You know, and, and so the days of a large centralized IT organization that's building common platforms to ever be built on, that, by the way, I yeah. spent 30 years as a CIO trying to perfect, <laughs> never did. Um, never did. I did all right, but we didn't perfect them. Yeah. They're hard to do, those but centralized you aim for perfection. I am for perfection. Yes. It's really, you know, maybe an over, overused term, democratizing IT. Yeah. You know, but it's putting the importance of how can I become more agile, more directly connected to the rest of the organization. You know, a term that drives me nuts is when people say the business. I'm like, gosh, it's the bit. Why are we doing this as IT? We do it to ourselves. Yeah. You don't say marketing in the business, sales in the business. We just say IT in the business. What this is doing is it's making us realize that technology should be embedded in almost every single thing an organization does. And so as part of that, it's a massive decentralization, I think, of IT. Yeah. I don't know. What's your perspective on uh, that? It's similar. I would start by saying, first, anytime there was a generational technology, it's had a the, one of the um, secondary effects of that has been on the impact of an IT function in companies, right? So you have mainframe computing that led to the rise of an IT department. Then you had the internet, which basically allowed us to access offshore and locations because you have bandwidth and you have availability and the rise of various different providers. Mm -hmm. Then you had cloud and mobile, right? You could argue that propelled the adoption of product and platform operating models and yep. how IT organizations are, are, are structured. And then you have the, I would say, proliferation or the mass adoption of AI coming in this decade. So I land in a similar place that you do, which is technology will no longer be a function. It'll be a capability. I like it. Right? So capability that's embedded in every aspect of how you deliver value to the customer. Yeah. And as a result, uh, I too would like to ban the IT or business. Yeah. And I like to say IT equals business equals IT. There you go. Right? Like it. So it is, it is all, uh, all the same. So I, I do see a fundamental shift. Yeah. Uh, coming. And I also see the people model and the talent model changing based on some of the things we talked about, how you really drive productivity in uh, your development or engineering activities, how you really drive automation in uh, what was seen as IT operations, right? How do you drive real intelligence into some of the governance activities that traditional IT organization did? Yeah. You know, one of the things that gives me concern coming from life sciences is the perceived randomness of the of the potential answers you could get from a generative mm -hmm. AI and needing back to the regulators yeah. to have control. And so you sit there and go, gosh, I love all the potential and everything, but I just can't have it 
well, generating answers, yeah. you know? And so um, that gives me a lot of pause mm-hmm. for it. Now, with that said, I think there are techniques that can solve that, RAG being one of them, retrieval augmented generation. Yep. You can you know, query a, a known repository of answers, but still get the rich contextual dialogue, you know, information of that answer. Yeah. But make sure that the answer is always blue because that's the approved answer, not <laughs> green. I, yeah. Please don't freelance. Blue's the answer. Yeah. And so I think that there are some ways to do that. I think they still need to be proven out to the regulators that that will be enough yeah. control over that. But, you know, when you talk about, well, what excites me on it, we talked about the developer one. That certainly yeah. excites me on it. But I think just the ability to democratize IT, you know, one of the things when you put, or you know, power in the hands of the people, yeah, it's one of the best things that you could do. And what excites me about this is it, all the ideas don't have to come from one group. They don't have to come just from technology. They don't have to just come from your data yeah. scientists. They don't just have to come from the executive suite. We have the ability with this technology to allow every single person to be able to start to explore and to utilize it. So that really gets to excite me. But then yeah. see, see my first response also, which is, okay, now that I've democratized it and given it to everyone, but I needed to maintain a little bit of control over yeah. it. So it is that, scaffolding. That, that push and pull. Well, the scaffolding is important. That's how you yeah. manage it, yeah. right? Yeah. And, yeah. A, and a strong, responsible AI program, strong oversight by the human be, is able to do that. What excites you? I think the... Um there have been some intractable problems in uh, enterprise technology. Yeah. And uh, just a few. Just a few. So I, I feel like this has given us a chance to start attacking them yeah. at a cost that might be manageable. Yeah. So the three that come to mind one is uh, tech debt. Yeah. Okay. We seem to accumulate more and more every year, <laughs> right? So, and one reason for that is the cost of software and cost of software development never actually went down. Yeah. Maybe it, it does now and we can actually deal with it. That's one. Second is talent. We've always had a dearth of talent. Yeah. I, I'm actually excited about more work getting done yeah. with the talent we have while driving the experience yeah. of, of the developers. And I think it's going to create jobs yeah. we haven't even contemplated. And we haven't, yeah, that's, that's a great point. And then the third We've always had an issue delivering large tech-enabled projects on time, <laughs> right? That never happened to me. That, of course, yeah. yes. <laughs> so I'm hopeful that, you know, there's some interesting applications of generative AI that can actually solve some of these intractable problems. Yeah, I think finally the technology is ready to meet the moment, Yeah. right? You know, I think in lots of cases you go back to the internet and go, were we really ready as a technology organization to tackle the dot-com? Yeah. I think that the evidence is... Maybe just barely, if at all. Yeah. I think we overpromised, right? You know, as an IT organization on what we could do, which led then into the knots, yeah. a contraction of IT. IT was a cost to be managed. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, you know, how can I do this for less money? It's, you know, it's, it's not going away, but I also don't want to pay a lot for it. Yeah. And I think finally with the cloud and the advent of cloud and the movement towards more agile type of thinking and now a generative AI, I think we're ready to meet the moment to finally be able to tackle some of those things that you talked about. Very well said. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed the dialogue. And uh, I think you'll join me in being really excited about what could come next. It has been my pleasure. Love this conversation. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Conversations with Leaders, brought to you by AWS Executive Insights. For more on these topics, visit aws.amazon.com slash executive insights. While there, be sure to learn more about AWS Exec Leaders, an invite-only global community for business and technology leaders.